For many years, it's been our custom to dedicate the meeting immediately after someone has been on an important retreat to have a chance to uh, talk about the retreat. And I, my career was, has been as a talk therapist. I'm not doing that anymore. But uh, one of the things that I know is that uh, on retreats, a lot of what we experience is not really cognitively integrated. Um, the, uh, um, the opportunity to talk about it uh, around an informed audience gives us the opportunity to connect the dots, which is what I mentioned in the little blurb that was posted on the website, um, so that the experience becomes more uh, integrated and more accessible for further <laughs> contemplation, but also to strengthen one's own practice experience. And of course, when other people who have been on the retreat hear what you have to say, that also might uh, stir up some memories and some insights for them. And uh, finally, for those who were not on the retreat, whether you've been on a retreat, other retreats or not, uh, hopefully is inspiring. I'm a very big advocate of uh, retreat practice. I've been on I couldn't even tell you how many retreats I've been on in the last 40 years. Many, many, many. Um, so uh, I'm going to kind of get the ball rolling here. And when you, when you talk about your experience, uh, try to be succinct. What I'm interested in is your insights. What kinds of revelations you had about your own meditation practice about the Dharma, um, your own process of awakening. Um, sure, the site was beautiful and, you know, good production of the retreat and so forth and so on. Let's just assume that that's a given. Talk about your, your insights. Talk about the Dharma. So I'm going to begin, and I am going to give a brief outline of the retreat so that it is understood. Um, the first sitting was at 6.45. I myself usually sit from 5 to 6 every morning. Uh, I gave myself some slack and I sat from 5.15 to 6.15. And um, I was the practice leader on several of the sittings. And um, when I would sit, whether I was the practice leader or not, I try to make arrangements. I don't do walking meditation. I don't discount it. I just don't do it. Sometimes I do, but very seldom do I do it. I try to walk mindfully, but I don't do formal walking meditation. Uh, so I would try to get myself on the cushion an hour before the, that sitting was supposed to end. Um, so that was my uh, experience. And um, the, the re sittings went on alternating sitting and walking periods then lunch and uh, in the morning um, the second sit was a, an instruction sit Shala provided some instruction and some meditation and um, the retreat was organized around uh, cultivation and mindfulness 
and um, there would be a Dharma talk in the evening and there were opportunities for small group discussions during the retreat and for people to have a chance to do individual interviews with Shaila, usually walking around the property. Um, and I would go home, go back to my room after the last sit and sit for another hour. So that was what I did. I, my first experience of Shaila was probably in 2017 at the Forest Refuge and I was I was impressed with her uh, knowledge prior to that but hearing her give Dharma talks and doing interviews with her really impressed me so we've been trying to get her down here we've had three retreats with Shiloh here there were another two that were supposed to happen but uh, the pandemic got in the way um, mm. The talks that she gave on Tuesday night and Wednesday night were among the most powerful for me that I've ever heard. And I think some of that is because I was pretty deep in samadhi myself. I was very receptive. Uh, and I couldn't tell you what she talked about. But I can tell you I was really, really impacted. I mean, I... I a student of the Abhidhamma, Buddhist psychology. Uh, and I can tell you, as an informed consumer, she really knows what she's talking about. Um, I have a copy of Wisdom Wide and Deep, which I read, and I've also read a good bit of the Vasudhimaga, so I'm, I'm a well-informed consumer. But what she had to say, and she went off, I won't say down the rabbit hole, she went down the Dharma hole, couple of times in her Dharma talks and I was just delighted. I went right there with her and knew exactly what she was talking about and really, really appreciated it. Um, so, um, I decided she stayed with me in this building, not with me, but in this building which is in my backyard um, over the weekend after retreat and we did some touristy things but I talked to her a lot with her about the Dharma, like me, and uh, um, Sunday night I registered for the Jhana retreat that's going to be in Georgia in um, late October. I think it ends sometime first few days of November of this year. So I'm pretty psyched about that. Um, I've had a couple of Jhana retreats over the course of my practice. I'm not really a jhana practitioner, but I certainly do want to go along for the ride uh, up in Georgia um, this fall. Okay, so that's what I have to say. There are several people here um, who have uh, been on the retreat and others who have not, but what I want to do is to, uh, something that we typically do at the beginning of all of our retreats, I mean all of our uh, Wednesday night gatherings, Especially, we did this when there was no, no Zoom uh, thing going on before the pandemic. So what I'm going to do is ask people in the room here to say your name, and then I'm going to say the names of the people who are uh, attending via Zoom. So here in the room... Um, John Ciccone. Santi Papadakis. Steve Ford. Joy Green. Mike Mucio. David Logan. 
and myself and Leslie in April, um, uh, Julian, Drew, Alex and Allie, Yadira, the other Allie, Steve, uh, Michael, uh, Will, and Sharon, Sharon Lambert. <coughs> so I say Sharon Lambert because there's a couple of Sharons and I want people to get confused. Um, okay, so once again, the constraint in this, we got a lot of ground to cover and not a whole lot of time and a lot of people who've been on the retreat. So let's, let's move right along here. Um, and I'm just going to pick people because usually there's this s silence before someone will talk. So um, let's start with Leslie. Tell us about your practice on the retreat, Leslie. You know, you have to unmute. It was, uh, I agree with you, uh, let me just say a positive thing before I start with, before I have a negative thing to say about my practice. Well, it's not really negative, but it was a hard start for me. Um, but it was overall an incredible retreat, one of the best retreats I've been to. I agree with Peter, I was blown away with her knowledge her insight, her her ability to present the Dharma in such an accessible way. And I am not very knowledgeable about um, jhana practice, very knowledgeable at all. So I started reading Focused and Fierce as soon as I got home. And that's, I'm really happy to be following this retreat with reading that book. It's really um, fascinating and brand new territory uh, for me. Um, but uh, so I guess just quickly, because I know there are a lot of people to comment here, I'll just say that this is usually my pattern, uh, and I think a lot of people's pattern uh, on when you go on silent retreat, the first two days can be tough. And I had a, a private session with Peter, I think it was the second day, I was kind of overwhelmed by my my mind and uh, he sort of helped pull, pull me back off the ledge I was on which I was very very grateful for but it's I want to say that um, as fabulous as the experience truly was and still is I still feel like I'm walking around in retreat mode and um, but the first two days were, were and typically as I said have been I think it's very interesting, even if you're a regular meditator, as I am, I meditate three times a day, and uh, but I have a very full and busy life, as we all do, and so you do, I do my morning meditation, and then bam, my day starts, and you know, there you go, you're off in um, la-la land, and um, so to be on a silent retreat where you are just faced moment to moment with the unbelievable chatter of your own mind is shocking and I was shocked even though I knew to be prepared for it it's not that that chatter is not always there it's just that when you are in an environment where you are silent 24 hours of the day you are just so much more deeply aware of the maneuvering of the mind and um, 
and that was I had um, it was difficult for me and I, I fell into sloth and torpor uh, on those first two days I just could not stay awake and I was rested I had slept fine not well but I had slept fine um, but the hindrance the hindrances you know were grabbing after me and um, so uh, but as I said, Peter helped me tremendously, mainly by just saying, welcome to the human race. Everybody's mind chatters. Um, and, uh, and, and then her, I will say this, that her instructions, as Peter said, that every morning uh, in our second 45-minute um, um, meditation, she gave a, instructions for us to work with in the course of the day. And I loved that. I, I, I just loved having that very concrete, specific directions for what we're su supposed to do with our mind and how we handle the hindrances and how we return back to the breath again and again and again. So um, uh, it, it was tremendously helpful, exactly what I needed in my life, um, and I am so grateful to you, Peter, and the whole team, Tommy, and everybody that I know worked so hard to pull this off, and please, please do it again next year. We want, we want her back. Working on it. Good, good. And I will say, for those of you who have not been on uh, uh, an extended silent retreat. Um, we've talked before in Sangha about the uh, uh, Richie Davidson and Daniel Goleman's book on altered states, and it's a kind of a meta-analysis of the research on meditation. And one of the things that's very interesting in that book is they say, of course, daily meditation is important for a practitioner. We don't want to discourage you from doing daily meditation, but the research shows that when you go on an, an extended retreat, the benefits are so much greater than even the benefits from daily practice. Yeah. So it, you can't really know that or understand that until you've experienced it. And um, it's, it's, um, it's a pretty amazing thing. So. Thank you, Peter. <laughs> Thank you, Leslie. By the way, we are currently negotiating uh, with uh, the Deerhaven people for uh, a one-week retreat, which goes, um, let me see, November, November, um, 19th to the 26th, I think. Um, uh, so keep that in mind I'm just looking at my calendar here so give me, give me some alright so um, now we'll go to April tell us about your retreat experience April thank you um, yeah so I also I guess the first day uh, Took a little settling in Friday and Saturday, um, but by Sunday, um, I felt like I was getting in the groove. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, for me, I haven't been on an in-person retreat in about four years. So I've done a couple of Zoom retreats. Um, and through the MMTCP program, I did a week-long silent Zoom retreat uh, during the pandemic. So this was really amazing to be in person, um, to be back to practicing with, with the Sangha in person. And also, Shyla, yeah, I mean, I feel like it was just for me this it just kept incrementally building you know like she was so skillful in the pacing and the even though a lot of what she talked about was kind of a a refresher you know like it was very foundational but it was important like i i felt like it was perfect timing for me to hear all this stuff all over again and then, but then in her Dharma talks, uh, she started talking about things, you know, like talking about enlightenment and talking about, um, she just started talking about things and you could just tell that it was from experience and very authentic. And so I, yeah, I really enjoyed it. And for me personally, um, I mean, I had a few, you know, not every session was samadhi, you know, but actually increasingly as the retreat went on, I was really enjoying myself. And, but there were, um, in the beginning, there was one particular day, like where an afternoon, um, I found myself very challenged. And that was when her discussion of Mara really hit home for me because I realized that no matter what was in my way, like whatever was pulling my attention, um, that, you know, thinking of it as Mara, I stopped engaging with it mentally. I stopped, I stopped listening to it and rationalizing with it. And I was, I was able to drop it. And then my practice, you know, deepened and I was more focused in the in, in the meditation. So let me just interject there that people who don't know Mara is the Buddhist equivalent of the devil in the Christian tradition. Okay, so yeah. go ahead. Yeah, yeah, and I and also like the the freeing aspect of it is that it comes disguised, right? Like so when you when something is really pulling at you, you know, you you think you think it means something because it's your particular Thing that you're dealing with like like oh this is real and this really does need to take my attention and I really need to get you know stuck in this and and so being able to personify Mara and realize that no matter each person is going to have their own Mara right so then once you just know that you have the faith to return to the practice and let let it go no matter what it is and no matter how much is trying to talk you into going with it down that rabbit hole so that was very freeing, and so I'm really glad that happened in the beginning of the retreat. <laughs> so, yeah, I enjoyed it. And the walking meditation, and for me, the dog. So she confirmed. Uh, and I actually, uh, since, have been practicing my walking meditation on the dock in my neighborhood, and it's been, it's it's deepened, uh, so I, I feel more, you know, I guess, confident in that. So that's my experience. Thank you. Yeah, the dock that April's referring to is on um, uh, at the uh, on the re- uh, retreat site. So um, it's on Lake Howell. I'm trying trying to connect to my name and remember the lake. I did a self retreat 
there and sat on that dock for hours and really enjoyed the meditation there some many years ago. All right, Drew, how about your practice experience, sir, on the retreat? Yeah, so um, it went well. Um, I feel like I went in with, it was my first um, silent retreat experience, and I had had a non-silent retreat that had sort of really deep samadhi and these sort of fireworks type things and um, ended up where, you know, the, the mindfulness, the continuity of mindfulness sort of came easy on that retreat. And so I think I came in with a little bit of an expectation that that might happen again. And then I found that I sort of had to fight for it a lot more. And my practice had not been <laughs> as consistent coming up to it. And, um, but the fruits of sort of staying with mindfulness throughout the day really just became more apparent the, the longer that went on. Um, and as it's gone into, into daily life, just sort of staying and not kind of going everywhere with my mind has been really helpful. Um, so yeah, I deeply appreciate that you guys put this on. It's been really wonderful. How many retreats have you been on, Drew? Uh, this was my first silent retreat. I went on one other retreat, um, which was I'm also in the MMTCP program, oh, and so nice. it was the it was the live taping of um, the Power of Awareness course that Tara Brock and Jack Hornfield put on. So that was the that was my only real retreat experience. Um, but before this, yeah. okay, yeah, several people who were on the retreat. Um, have either completed or are about to start that training program, certification program for Dharma teachers. The, the one piece that um, Shyla talked about, and I, I don't know anything about it, I didn't know anything about it until fairly recently, is that it's pretty good training for facilitating groups, but not really deep in the Dharma. And so one of my hopes is that I can provide support for people um, in terms of really diving into the con conceptual uh, aspect and the, the uh, sitting practice aspects of uh, teaching. So um, I'll be glad to support you if I can. I know you'll have mentors there, but I'm certainly willing to provide support for you also, Drew. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah, you're welcome. Okay, so... Um, First, we're going to have Ali of Ali and Alex to dis discern the different. I don't want the other Ali to jump in and yet. So, Ali, how about your retreat experience, ma'am? I would say so. It, it was unexpected for me, and I noticed that the experience that I was having, that I kind of processed in hindsight after the retreat that I saw that I had been having wasn't the experience my mind was telling me I was having during the retreat and I found a lot of resistance um, come up and um, resistance I'm very familiar with in my daily life but it was just so stark when it was against 
like the silence and the lack of busyness of the external world. So it was really helpful to have that time. And something really important for me was the support of the community um, in silence. It felt like we were all there working hard and working at something larger than than our sense of selves. And having that was so um, important uh, for my practice because I had been pretty solo um, up to that point. Yeah, it's interesting. Let me let me interject this. It's interesting uh, doing a retreat in silence with a number of people. And by the way, there were uh, 30 of us on this retreat, 31. And uh, it's like a strangely choreographed, interesting dance in silence that we all do together, moving around each other, meals and uh, walking around and all that. It's a wonderful, uh, insightful experience. So go ahead, Allie. I agree. Definitely. Um, I, before the retreat, this was my first silent retreat, and I had many years of like mindfulness um, experience, but less of the really directed concentration. And Shyla was so knowledgeable and focused on the concentration and the skills building aspect. So it was cool for me to see something that I hadn't really spent a lot of time in. I was really interested in the insight aspect, but not so much the concentration. And to see someone talk about how those are balanced and how you need both was it helpful for me. And it kind of made me take a look at my practice and say, is this balanced enough? Um, that's the seventh awakening factor. Is it balanced enough? <laughs> and I'll end with, um, I came into the retreat with a lot of grief and um, anxiety. And um, it's funny because as uh, Alex and I were kind of processing afterwards talking about our experiences I said I don't know I was, I was expecting to have a lot of insights because that's what I'm more used to with, with um, practice in the past um, but what I had was like more bodily experiences like I had a states of mind like tranquility and um, I had this other experience where I had this impending narrative that was about to perpetuate the grief that just got cut off and it just stopped in its tracks and the grief didn't return and I told, told Alex like oh it's just I just didn't get the insight and he was like it's funny because the what I hoped for you going into the retreat was that you would address the two most the two highest forms of suffering I see in your life are like your anxiety and your grief and it's like I was my mind wasn't looking for those but that's kind of what I found in the retreat space so it was an unexpected really helpful experience one of the things I remind people of repeatedly uh, content is circumstantial process is everything so what what insight might you be able to connected dots regard, uh, in regards to about you know this issue of grief 
and impermanence and non-self. Do you have any thoughts about that, Allie? Well, I don't know if this is the question, but I think what came to mind is... Um, So I don't know directly about the impermanence aspect, but I will say that I can translate the experience I had with seeing the grief arise with other emotions that arise and that are strongly fueled by narratives. Yes. Um, there's also trauma narratives. And they're so the emotions are so intense that they easily have overwhelmed me. But when you see them right away for what they are, it's like you clip the cord and it just like they just fall away yep so maybe not specifically for impermanent i'm not getting i don't know well it's it was impermanent you you came in with a narrative that was reinforcing the grief and uh the way the way the human experience operates there's a a thinking attribute or a process and there's a uh feelings or body embodied process and the two can be mutually reinforcing not can be they are always this is the nature of craving and clinging so uh, one of the brilliant aspects of the Dharma is that when we contemplate how things change we do that through mindfulness of the body and mindfulness of feelings and then when and Shiler talked about this, which is, you know, not unusual. It's a core part of the teaching. Uh, How important it is to stay with your body, stay with the breath, and notice what's going on there and notice that it's changing. What that's doing is it's interrupting that feedback loop. There's a story. There's a feeling that comes with it. The feeling validates the story. Then the validation of the story sends more uh, energy into the body we get more and more upset but when we can see them as phenomena physical phenomena physical slash emotional <coughs> phenomena and uh, mental phenomena and interrupt the mental phenomena part and just stay with the breath body I call it the breath body because they're interactive um, this falls away and that's the impermanence and non-self insight. You see how that could work? Yes. Yeah, so probably explains why my head doesn't want me to go in my body because it wants these narratives to keep going. <laughs> you and everybody you know, dear. <laughs> Thanks, Peter. You're welcome. Alex, how about you, my friend? Uh, that's actually a pretty good transition uh, for what I was going to bring up. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, so my first, my, this is my first time on retreat or any retreat. Um, I've been meditating for about four years. Um, I've been into Buddhist philosophy for, I don't know, like 12 or something. Um, and then four years ago, I recognized the importance of actually practicing. Um, and then, so, um, yeah, I, so the first, the first insight for me was the, I always, I was, I'm such, I'm such a thinker and logical kind of person. Um, and I've always been meditating kind of more in my mind. And it was kind of the third day of the retreat 
where I was really able to kind of like more get into my body, um, which wasn't really an experience I'd had before. Um, and that was, uh, that was like a big breakthrough for me. It was very grounding. Uh, and then... Can, can you say more about that? What, what was actually happening in your body I, that promoted the insight? I was able to reach a level of, hmm, how to put it into words. I was, I, I, uh, I guess I reached a level of calm where instead of trying to, almost instead of trying to think my way into um, being, uh, think my way into having a silent mind, I more just, felt like my the center of my body was more in my chest and in, in my lower half and not all up here. So I've always seen myself as up here. Yep. And then when I kind of saw myself more as my whole body, um, my mind got a lot quieter. My thoughts got less important. Yeah. But I always saw myself like really, I always had this really up here, but I was able to know myself more as my whole body. Yes, that's it. Um, I talk often about what's called samadhi posity. And samadhi is, Shiloh talked about that a lot, you know, that's uh, stability of attention, concentration. And posity is uh, tranquility. So your attention, because it was operating with the physicality of the breath and the body, was stabilized. And along with that came a quietness in the mind. And that quietness interrupts the narrative and it's very useful in that regard like I was saying before you know content is circumstantial things come up the mind makes a story about it it's human nature um, but then we have this special training that creates a, a clear awareness a mindfulness that there's a difference between the physicality of the body experience and the fluidity of the thought experience let me just throw one of the things that happens for me often, particularly on retreats, and certainly did on this retreat. It's very clear to me that the body has a certain kind of vibrational quality. It's very stable, very peaceful, and the mind is going really fast and insubstantial, you know, um, and ephemeral, and. Being able to just simply notice that distinction between the solidity of body experience and the fluidity and rapidity and insubstantiality of the thought process is very liberating. So it sounds like that's sort of what you were realizing. Is Could that be right? Yeah, 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 definitely. Yeah. Good, good. I wish you well, Julian. Oops, he left. He just left. He's one of our Sangha from Mexico, actually. So, um, let's go to Ali, the other Ali. Yes, hello. Uh, um, so, this was also my first retreat. Um, also struggled a bit the first couple of days. Noticed I have a bunch of hindrances. Um, did not really know what hindrances were, if I'm going to be honest, before 
uh, but then upon learning about them, I was like, oh, wow, all of them are there. So that was like insightful to, to notice which ones came up more frequently. Um, what else? I think the biggest insight that I got from it actually came from just noticing the transition from the retreat back into reality. I was not expecting how overwhelming the stimulation is just in real life. So like I, I came out of the retreat and I, you know, I was like just so um, irritated at like just all of the noise and all of like the, like just stimuli from just driving home and like I was trying to do laundry and I was trying to do a bunch of things that you know I had to do but it, it was just so overwhelming I had to like drive to a nearby park just to like calm down um and then it got me thinking like wow like are we just immersed in this stimulation all of the time and just numb to it like so yes um, yeah and, and we then, spend you know, a lot of work. we spend a lot of time and money cultivating that numbness <clears throat> in a variety of ways yeah. Like this was, I mean, it, it was such a, a valuable and special experience to, to be in, in a place where, you know, you are just in silence and you are kind of, you know, remote from society to then see the juxtaposition of that silence and stillness to where you're, where you're at just in a daily, on a daily basis. Um, so like it, it definitely took several days to adjust back to reality. I, I had work like three days in a row afterwards, which was not the move, like was not the best choice for me to, but so I, I kind of see this retreat as, as like a, a good trial run where I got to experience, you know, what it was like in a silent retreat. I learned, you know, that like, um, that like you need to keep silence for all of the time. Um, and and, and you know what one insight that I did get during it which I thought was quite profound was I I certainly have a fear of emptiness and and just to notice how I you know will try to fill that emptiness with all kinds of like narratives or you know different thoughts or schemas um, so that was quite interesting but definitely next retreat you know no work the next couple of days afterwards um, you could just go home, like just be gentle with myself. So this was a really good kind of first time experience to figure out my baseline. Um, so yeah. So a couple of points. Uh, you said you went back to reality. It would be interesting to consider that you were closer to reality on the retreat. And I'm not saying that, I mean, that's one of the things we have to realize that we live in a world that is carefully constructed to influence us in a number of ways. It was, it's always been that way, but now because of the era that we live in, there's a lot of time and money been spent in figuring out just how we can be manipulated to yeah. be really good consumers. And uh, so uh, you, you said that you, you had this fear of emptiness I mentioned samadhi pasadi, stability of attention and uh, tranquility of mind. You might be misinterpreting that as emptiness because your mind is so um, afflicted with 
the kind of cultural indoctrination that we've all been subjected to. And that if you're not being stimulated or frightened or, or uh, you know, creating desires for whatever, then that's scary. But I want to hold out the, my understanding is that it's preferable, that quietness and that stability is preferable to the noisiness of the world. And you can't get out of the noisiness of the world, but you can bring that stability and quietness to the game. And do you think how that might, you think that might be advantageous for your life? Most likely, um, especially just as a therapist, I suspect that it would be quite valuable. But it's funny that you say that, like, you know, it's more reality what we experience there because in hindsight, all of that just felt like a dream. Like, because now I've kind of just, like, adjusted back to reality. Like, the, like, to think back on the retreat, it just, it feels like a dream. Um, A really good dream. But I'm, it, it does kind of, you know, make me feel a little sad that there's, not as much of that in, you know, I guess, the stimulated reality um, for there to be such a juxtaposition where it it feels like it was a dream. Yes. Now you understand why I love retreats so much. In fact, I plan to do another self-retreat, a two-week self-retreat in this very building sometime late March or early April. Um, Because to me, this is more akin to reality than dancing around in, in uh, uh, the world. Uh, and in, it's been a good bit of the last quarter century of my life cultivating quietness and peacefulness in my life. And I'm enjoying the benefits of that these days. So I want to hold that out to you. And the kind of clarity and peacefulness that you can bring to the therapeutic encounter is probably one of the most important gifts you can give to any of your clients. I know that from my own practice experience. Yeah, looking forward to your haven. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. All right, how about you, Will? Talk about your retreat experience, my friend. Who, me? Yeah, you. Um, yeah, you know, um, it was a good one. And, like, I don't have a particular reason as to why it was good or why it was so helpful. Maybe it's for the simple fact that, you know, Shiloh may or may not have entered the stream. I don't know. (laughs) I thought that maybe that's just it. Just being in her presence might have, in her presence might have, like, you know, um, just accelerated the, the the growth that that I had in that in that period because I can't like really put my finger on any um, like specific um, catalyst on the retreat. You know that there was a lot of physical pain for me because I had uh, altered the way that I've been sitting for the last you know seven years, and so I changed that. Like this is the first retreat I did sitting like that, so that was a change. And I had a lot of unexpected physical pain um, as a result. Uh, but, you know, I, I, I got in touch with uh, the, uh, the, 
the, the basic teaching of the uh, the second arrow and how like how like just how hard I was on myself when I was already experiencing so much pain and it was like I I, I could have like like I I I had the ability to let go of a lot of the suffering that I was experiencing and I just was able to experience the unpleasant feeling which really was composed of the you know causes and conditions and she she really the way that she worked the saki patata was just um i mean it was it, it was really kind of fun she she added a new um just just a different way of of doing it so it was like that that made it really interesting for me um and I've been doing it kind of the same way for, for so long. So um, by kind of seeing the way that she does it, you know, it's the same exact teaching, same exact, um, you know, uh, methods, but just, just the way that she did it was a little bit different. It kind of gave me an element of creativity to my practice, um, or, or at least allowed me to be a little bit more creative with my practice. And um, my retreat has really been um, still going on, you know. It's still kind of I'm still experiencing my retreat at the moment. Um, I haven't really. Um, <laughs> I, I I just kind of have been looking at work little by little. Um, I uh, just got into a car accident. Somebody ran a red light and uh, I hit them, and uh, I <laughs> I've been having a hard time like just like dealing with it. I mean, I've been doing it, but like it's not something I really I don't know. It's, it's interesting seeing how it's all been working out. Did you I mean, get hurt? Did you out. get hurt, Will? No, 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 no. No, I wasn't. No, no, no. Oh, I, was, okay. I was in the truck. I, but uh, it was actually, uh, I know it, the, the, that whole experience would, would be for the whole other conversation. But uh, I, I guess just having been on the retreat, I handled the whole thing so calmly, even though like my, like, uh, my physical reaction was like, you know, I, I was obviously very rattled and very, um, you know, in, a little bit in shock. But like, I just noticed the physical, like, part of that, and like, it, it was it was interesting seeing the thoughts go through my head, and I didn't have to act on any of it. And it was like, you know, the the, the place where I try to practice the most compassion is on the road, and I had like an opportunity, a real opportunity, to practice some compassion with the other driver, because like. He came out and you know he, he just admitted he was at fault and he asked for forgiveness and I told him absolutely I mean I understand we make mistakes and it was like I don't know I I, I don't want to say I love the guy but I definitely don't hate him and uh, even though you know he's caused me a lot of inconvenience or well his action caused me a lot of inconvenience for the last few days uh, but uh, yeah so anyways uh, just a great retreat I'm still like. A lot of like it's not like my mind has quieted down, but sitting has become a lot, um, just a lot more enjoyable. Like it feels like I'm coming home whenever I sit down for meditation. Now it's like it's like ah, oh, I'm home. Where sometimes it feels like a chore, but like these last few days, it's been like ah, oh, I'm home. So that's yeah, that was my experience. Good. Thank you, Will. I'm glad nobody got hurt. Yeah, me too. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that the, the guy was good. I was good. So yeah, it was good. So, um, I do not trust my memory. Is there anyone on the screen 
who was at the retreat that I have overlooked. Okay, let's go to Xanti. I'm not sure which pieces of things to pull out. I, I will say that I, I, I feel a little like, like what Will said about it, it was really profound and powerful, and it's hard to say exactly why, but that Shyla's presence really was a big factor in that. And um, I feel like something felt like it was transmitted, something about the, the urgency of practicing and how much I desire to bring that much higher in priority. Um, and also the possibility that's there. Um, I think there was a lot that was handled for me around doubt and having confidence. You know, I think some of my process in these years has been about building confidence both in myself and the power of the practice and this retreat really made some headway into that. Um, and part of that was, you know, I got into some very deep and profound questions with Shyla. And she wasn't, there was not a trace of dismissiveness around what I was bringing to her attention. She gave it like the utmost attention and importance and that in itself I, I don't know if I'm articulating this okay but something about the way she did that made me feel like oh I too this mind has has that nature and can, has the potential to achieve realization. You know, like it's, um, I was reminded of the, um, you know, story where <clears throat> um, Mara comes to the Buddha kind of, I think, during that final sit of his and, and says something like, who do you think you are? You know, that you can't do this. And it, it felt like something about about Shyla's presence with me in my questions um, helped to dispel that part of the mind that is so stuck in that who do you think you are place. Um, I don't know if that all makes sense. Um, well, it is an interesting question, isn't it? Uh, if you take it from a position of anatta, who do you think you are? Rather than who do you think you are? It's a very different approach to the, the whole issue. Yeah. And it, it leaves the opportunity for questioning open, but without making it personal, without making it self-denigrating, um, self-criticizing. Um, 
Do you, you understand what I'm saying? Yes, yes, I do. Yeah. So she does have a very strong understanding of, of the path. And it sounds like that's some of what she conveyed to you, the way she was interacting with you. She did. And, you know, I've had certain insights, let's say, in my life, certain experiences. And I've had even a, a very well-renowned um, Dharma teacher be dismissive about it and almost like... And that was really not helpful. And, and yet I've had both Shyla and Guy Armstrong be the opposite of that about these insights and give them, you know, without, you know, it's, it's a slippery slope because you don't want to give the ego too much fuel to, uh, but, you know, to really provide the validation that's so important to proceed on the path just felt really important. And it, it helped undo some of the other garbage responses I've had in the past. Because, hey, Shiloh <laughs> says, I mean, you know. Anyway. I really appreciate what you're saying. I mean, it just conveys to me that you really did get something out of this retreat. Something important. I did. I did. I really did. Good. Yeah. Glad to hear it. So I think that's that covers it pretty much. I have a correction to make. Um, the date for the upcoming retreat at Deerhaven, which is about 40 miles away from here, is the 12th to the 19th of November. If it was started on the 19th, it would go over Thanksgiving Day. And, nah, we don't do that. But it's, it's uh, the 12th to the 19th, from one Sunday to the next Sunday. So I hope that you all will keep that in mind. Um, I will be leading it. And uh, a good time will be had by all. Uh, so uh, the topic for next week, I, the last few Dharma talks, I talked about uh, compassion and sympathetic joy, which are subsets of uh, loving kindness. I think what I'm going to talk about next week is the fourth of the divine abidings, which is equanimity, which uh, I think is a really useful uh, contemplation. So that will be the topic for next week's uh, Dharma talk, next Wednesday night. Um, are there any questions from anyone who was not on the retreat, who's participating in this meeting, very briefly, about what you heard tonight. Any, any need for clarification? Okay, thank you. Um, I would like to ask Leslie and April and Allie and Lily to stick around after the meeting so we can have a brief chat. Okay? But other than that, thank you folks for your participation. And um, it's our custom at the end of every meeting to sit for a moment.
Thank you for your practice. I hope that we're all safe and reasonably happy until the next time we have a chance to chat.